You know, Ashley, you did babysit me, but I think at the time I was taller than you, so that, that could have only been because you're not that much older. You know, that's the only explanation for that. Well, today's topic is being patient in suffering, and I know that Ashley has a few giveaways um, for the, the time today, and, and I've brought a few with me as well, so uh, some items that we'll be, be sharing today. Um, this one right here. You know, for the time when you just need to clean everything up and tote it away and toss it in the closet. Um, that, that's, you know, add that to your wish list for your, for your birthday. Uh, if you really want to tidy up, uh, I don't know if y'all been watching Marie Kondo's uh, new show on Netflix, but certain things in life might not spark joy, and it's, it's time to just get rid of them. Um, you know, we, we, we come across these kinds of memes all the time, and they probably, they probably make sense to us and resonate with us in ways that they might not with uh, previous generations of parents and maybe some of the, the mentor moms here. Uh, you know, we're, we're pretty used to joking about how our kids are evil terrorists. Um, now, honestly, sometimes they are. Uh, you know, I, I saw, I came across one, one post where there's, this couple was saving up for some Utah football tickets, and I don't know why, but they were all stuffing cash in an envelope and, and leaving it on their desk, and they couldn't find that. And one day, they, they checked the shredder, and uh, their two-year-old shredded 1060 bucks in, in cash. Uh, so the, these things happen. Um, but, you know, part, part of where that's coming from is, is just the awareness that what you do Every day, and, and this calling is, is really hard. That's, that's the reality. But, but, but there can also be, underneath some of that, um, this lingering thought, and I don't know if that's the way it's supposed to be. Should it feel like this? Is something wrong? You know, if you remember some of the headings from this year's MOPS uh, program, the, the, the culture prepares us to live expectantly, and to breathe freely, but it doesn't prepare us to suffer patiently. Just think about some of the inspirational images that you scroll past on Instagram. There, there are plenty of posts telling you to just breathe, you know, and that's overlaid on, on an image of, of some young woman's hands holding a coffee mug, facing misty mountains. You know, if that were my scenery, I think I'd be just fine as well. Uh, you hear that the future is bright, that things are going to turn around in your favor, that no matter what, you're going to land in a place that is awesome. But, but how many messages come, come streaming in that things are going to get harder, that the season of struggle is going to go on longer than you anticipated? You know, we, we, we are primed to be disillusioned. Mark Sayers, in, in his book titled The Trouble with Paris, he talks about this concept called hyper-reality. Uh, hyper-reality, he, he describes that as something that's, that's kind of better than reality. It's like the Disney World presentation of reality where everything is clean and, and you don't even know where the trash goes. Somehow people through magic tunnels, you know, take it away. And it's, 
and it's gone. But, but the, you know, the advertisements that we interact with, the stuff that comes, you know, broadcasted into our lives through social media, it's one presentation after another of attractive people doing really awesome things. And I, I know Aaron talked about some of the comparison that that creates uh, in, the, in the meeting last time. But, but that, that simulated reality, what, what it does, it, 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 it sets us up for confusion when we, when we face our own world. Because life is not edited for time like the movies are. All, all the boring and frustrating and, and confusing details remain. And, and he talks about young adults coming to, to grips with this. He, he says this, Often young adults will come to me to talk about how unhappy and frustrated they are with their lives. As I help them dig deeper into their situation we discovered that they are struggling with many of the issues that are simply part of life. Responsibility, pain, the mundane nature of everyday life, the fact that they are getting older. Nevertheless, they think these issues are abnormal and that no one else is struggling with them. Now, we, we might be tempted to dismiss them as whiny or entitled, or you know, kind of like when people without kids tell you that their life is busy, and you're like, that's kind of cute. You know? you'll, you'll figure that out one day. Uh, but if you, if you listen honestly to your own struggle, you might be feeling ripped off as well. You might, you might think that life was going to be differently than it is right now. And there, there are many parents with young children who have discovered that having kids is really difficult. And, and yet, in the culture that we live in, really difficult can feel like it's wrong in some way. And so suffering needs to be a part of our functioning vocabulary, from, from the tragic to the mundane. And the letter of First Peter in, in the New Testament was written to help prepare us for this, when, when life is demanding, when it is unrewarding, when it feels like you're never able to, to move things forward and you're always just trying to catch up, when mission accomplished is just surviving the day, is that meaningless? Is that pointless? Are those wasted moments? Or has God intended precisely these experiences? For our good. All right, so let's read this together. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You know, one of the ways that the Bible is so helpful is that it explains life for us. It, it helps to frame our expectations. It, it's, it's a very realistic book. The, the last thing that scripture is, is heartwarming, like something you'd find on the Hallmark Channel. That's not really what it was designed to do, it's able to handle the broken places of life. The kind of encouragement we need is more than the you go girl pick-me-ups, right? That will only last for so long. We need truth that allows us to honestly stare at where we're hurting. And the Bible tells us to expect suffering. 
That's, that's as you're living expectantly. That's one of the things that you can anticipate. He, he tells us, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. You could also title this, find your fiery trial, because it's there. And if it's not present right now, it's, it's coming. The, the Bible describes our lives in, in Job 14.1 as few of days and full of trouble. In Psalm 103, it says that our days are like grass, like a, like a flower that blossoms and then is taken away by the wind. God never establishes a, a no-fly zone, make, making sure that trouble doesn't enter into the landscape of his, his people. We, we, we are certain to experience hardship, t- turmoil, seasons of difficulty, health issues, and, and loss. This is a, this is a broken world. It, it, it doesn't play by the rules. It doesn't operate by a formula. It's like a vending machine. You stick in your money, you swipe your card, and nothing comes out. And that just happens again and again because it's, it's unresponsive. Something has fundamentally broken in the way that it was designed to operate. And, and, and I think what, one of the things I, I appreciate about how Scripture talks about this, you know, the, the book of James says that we, we will encounter various trials. So there's not just one kind of experience that you can pick up the word suffering and, and apply it to. That, that's not just reserved for the cancer diagnosis. That's, that doesn't just exist for the, the day that you're, you're, you're walking through the loss of a loved one, although it absolutely applies to those situations. But, but there's a, a spectrum of trial that we that we walk through that that scripture speaks to you know there's the trials of parenting the long long days the long nights brandy right uh when you think that that is never going to come to an end the the you know when when you start having multiple kids it's it's like domino effects when one gets sick then the other one does and the other one does and then like when the last one has finally recovered the first one's starting back up and it's just on like one of those train tracks that's in a circular motion and then you're in, involved and on the receiving end of some of that i, I was talking with uh regina before the, the the time today about how it seems like every time you know i'm going out on a trip several things happen one, my, my poor wife is, is left with a sick household. I mean, just whenever I'm traveling for ministry or going out of town, it's just bound to happen. And typically, they've sent me off with a little package to enjoy while I'm away as well. That happened at the, the men's retreat uh, this year. Uh, last year, um, the, the night before I was about to leave... All of a sudden, uh, well, the, leading up to that, my, my middle son had just, he had thrown up like seven times that day and just wasn't getting the fluids he needed. And, and you know, we, we, we called in and, and they said, okay, you, you got to take him into the ER. And so I bring him there about midnight, stay with him there till about three in the morning, come home. I have to leave for my flight at 4 a.m., travel there and meetings all day. And so, I don't know, I've been up for like 30 plus hours at that point. Wake up the next morning and it it hits me, um, but this this is just standard fare. This is you know, I'm just describing one instance of something that is extremely familiar for all of you. But sometimes those are the things that are that are the easiest to manage. You know what? What about your kid's unresponsiveness? 
What about behavior struggles? What about the discouragement of feeling like there are things that you have addressed and sought to care for and sought somehow to understand them and reach their heart and you're not seeing any fruit coming from that and, and it can feel like what is, the, what is the point and you start Googling and try to find out what, what else do I need to do? What's the secret methodology that's going to resolve this issue? We just feel at a distance from being able to, to, to parent and shepherd the hearts of our children, and, and that can be wearying. That can, that can land you in a place that is confusing and, and feeling like you're losing your bearings. Some of you might be walking with children that have unique needs, and, 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 and that, that, that just multiplies this ordeal. And then there are times of, of dark trial that will break into our world. Financial stress, Illness, and some of you experience issues with chronic pain, migraines, a diagnosis that you, you never would have anticipated to break into your life at this point. You thought that that would be coming 20, 30 years from now, if at all, and, and now you're raising young children while, while facing real questions about your future, infertility, or miscarriage, marital strife, feeling emotionally disconnected from your, your, your spouse, feeling like you're at a, at a distance, and, and there, are, there are dark places. You know, so, sometimes just the distractions of life keep you from going there, and everything feels fine, and then something hits you, and there's a reminder of this is, this is not what I expected does not feel like it's supposed to feel. Some of you have walked through divorce. Maybe you're grieving the death of a family member. These, these are dark trials. Many of you continue to, to carry wounds from your past, your, your upbringing, your ongoing relationship with your, your parents today, it's very difficult to manage because maybe there was neglect. Maybe there was addiction in your past. Maybe there was abuse. There are certain words from your childhood that still ring in your ears. And every now and then you're in the right situation, the right environment. And one more time, that comes up and it can be crippling. Well, the Bible says that God comforts us in all our afflictions, all of them. There, there is no feature of broken humanity that his comfort is not designed to address. And so where, where do you feel disillusioned, like you're struggling to make sense of your experience? What feels painful? Where do you need strength? Scripture gives us a word for that. And, and in naming our our suffering, the Bible gives significance to our experience. Your suffering matters. It, it, it carries weight. There's a delicacy that God has toward it. Now, now you, you might be feeling, okay, I know that. You know, thanks for reading First Peter 4, but I've heard this before. 
you know, I, 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 I know that on some level this should be what I would anticipate. But here's the challenge for all of us. There, there are things that we, we think that we know that we don't really know. We, we know it at the level of, you know, I'll use a book analogy because that's just what makes sense to me. It's like that, 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 that book is on the shelf. It's in the library. It's like, yeah, I know that. It's right there. But, but it's not something that we're accessing and benefiting from. And, and when the, the kind of experience arrives, when that, that truth is supposed to get worked out in real time, it's like you pull up the web, web page and it's 404 not found. And you feel like, okay, what even benefits me in this moment? I, I, I love the way that David Powelson puts it. He says, the wisdom to suffer well is like manna. You must receive nourishment every day. You can't store it up, though you do become more familiar with how to go out and find what you need for today. How will God actually engage your sufferings with his grace? You may know the right answer in theory. You may have known it firsthand in some difficult situations. And yet you'll find that you don't know God well enough or in the exact ways you need to for the next thing that comes your way. We take God's hard answer and make it sound like a pat answer. He sets about a long, slow answering, but we're after a quick fix. His answer insists on being lived out over time and into the particulars. We, we act as if just saying the right words makes it so. God's answer involves changing you into a different kind of person, but we act as if some truth, principle, strategy, or perspective might simply be incorporated into who we are already. God personalizes his answer on hearts with uncanny flexibility. That is extremely good news. Anytime you feel like, I just don't fit the mold, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he takes principles and, and he shapes them to, to fit your unique needs but we turn it into a formula. If you just believe X, if you just do Y, you love it when people say this, right? If you just remember Z, no important truth ever contains the word just in the punchline. This is the kind of experience that you can't summarize in a TED Talk. There's not a Pinterest board out there that contains what we need. It's why it takes patience. And it, it requires Surrender. One of your words this semester is to surrender daringly. And, and we're called to surrender to a, a, a process. James gives us, a, 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 rather, First Peter gives us a, a statement of purpose here. Do not be surprised at the fire trial when it comes upon you to test you. And just think about fire. Fire is painful, but fire is, is also designed to refine. The, the MOPS material says that fire is a tool for transformation. And so no matter who you are, at, at, some, at some point, you confront broken realities that have touched you in a personal way, and the question becomes, why? Why? Why does this continue? Why does this have to touch me in this way? Haven't I lived differently? And First Peter gives us one piece of God's answer ring. 
It doesn't fill in all the details that curious minds would want to know. But it says, you, you can be sure, right? Don't be surprised when it comes your way. You can be sure it's, it's coming to test you by God's intention and his design. God is personally at work. God is changing you. I mean, think about how, how, does, how does growth happen in real time? I mean, I think all of us, we want to grow. You know, we, we are aware that there's stuff about us that creates a problem, and, and we, want to, we want to experience change. We, we, we want to, either we want to improve, you know, sometimes we can want that for selfish reasons. But I think we, you know, we, we want to honor God with our lives as well. And, and the question is, how does that take place? How do you, how do you put on new character? And, and, and one of the Bible's answers is, well, well the, the kinds of things that you are walking through right now, those long days are designed to do that. God is, God is planning these. He's, he's, he's lovingly prepared them to benefit you. Suffering reveals things like what we really want, what we think we deserve what we're willing to do in order to get it. It, it, it allows our, our irritation, our anger, our slowness to believe God. These are the things that surface as we encounter resistance. And God is lovingly bringing those out, whether it's in the, the daily trials of parenting or it's the challenges of marriage or it's the significant seasons of suffering and grief. And something we don't often realize is that our sin is part of what afflicts us. And why am I so miserable? Why is this so hard? There's a lot inside of me that creates that and that compounds that. Our, our desires are out of proportion. Our impulses and habits are often the cause of trouble in our lives. And sometimes the reason why we're upset is because there, there is some idol that we have created and served and we feel like it's not given any return on my investment. And now I'm frustrated because it wasn't supposed to be like this. God caringly turns up the heat to show the poverty that comes when we try to bring our allegiance to these false deities and get something from them. You know, it just takes becoming a parent to reveal how selfish you are. I never thought I was an angry person. I never thought I was an impatient person. Uh, I never thought I could potentially kill somebody until I had <laughs> children, right? And so I, would have, I, I, I just would have been totally proud and feeling like, wow, I, I just manage life really well. And parenting makes me feel really weak and really incompetent and really dependent on God to show up and move. Don't you want that? Don't you, don't you want your self-confidence to be eradicated? I do. But I often don't want the means that God uses to do that. But the challenge is growth is a slow and a subtle process. Again, it's not something that you can just download on quick stream and, and binge watch the growth process. And it's like, I'm glad I've got that done. 
it, it doesn't take place like that. The, the Bible, it, it's from an agricultural time, and I think that's helpful because then the metaphors that we get aren't things that you can stick in a microwave. It's not something you can just keep swiping down and it will come faster. James 5 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. So he wants to illustrate that. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and, ra- and late rains. And so farming, it, and it's, it's got soil preparation in it. It's got plowing. It's got sowing. It's got times when it feels like nothing is happening. You don't see any observable growth. And then, and then you got to wait for the harvest to arrive. And there are setbacks. And, and, and all of that is part of the, the process. And, and an impatient farmer, it's like, I've got places to do. And farming takes over your life. It becomes the agenda if you're a farmer. And that's the word picture that James picks up. And he says, you also be patient. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. And we want to be blessed. We want to be a person of substance. We, We don't want to be people who are easily shaken. We, we want depth and wisdom and being patient, being steadfast under trial is, is how the Lord produces that in us. We, we want to be people who are able to help others, who can give more than a pat answer, who, have, who are able to share wisdom that sounds like it has mileage on it. God has you where you are right now to allow you to be that kind of, of person, that kind of woman, able to serve those who are radically different than you, but you can enter into their world and their experience and understand it because you have faced the same things inside of your heart that they are walking through right now. But surrender is, is, not, a, is not a calming exercise. It's not what it's supposed to be. Um, it's, a, it's a plea for help in your, your need. And, and we're patient, not just for a process, but for a, a person. There's a promise that grace is, is near to us. And, 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 and suffering can be such an isolating experience. It can, it can just make you feel like you are on an island. And you know, maybe day-to-day life can feel like you're, you're on this infant or toddler island away from the real world. Um, but, you know, especially those longer seasons, you, you can feel misunderstood. Uh, you can feel ignored. You can feel like your friends don't really get you. You know, they, they, something has happened. Something has disrupted your world. And they don't say this, but you, you pick up on, you know, a few months in, they, they're, they're ready for you to move on. They're, they're, they're not really wanting another conversation about that. And, and that can be a very lonely experience can feel like you've become an inconvenience to the people around you. You might feel like your husband doesn't appreciate the weight of your experience. I know my wife has felt that way. When, when to me, I, 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 I look at that and, and I, I, I treat it like it's a, it's a 50-pound experience, and so I give 50-pound care to it, and she's like, no, this is 5,000 pounds. 
how clueless can you be? <laughs> um, well, let me just speak on behalf of the husbands. Uh, your husband is not alone in being clueless. You didn't get the wrong one. Um, we're all like that, okay? Uh, it comes by nature. It comes from being a different person and a different species. Um, but listen, that, that can be an isolating experience. People try to offer quick fixes to your troubles. You know, they, they, they catch your kid at an unruly moment, and, and they, they're there with their, their best parenting advice, and the one thing that they did, the one, I don't know, diet plan that you put your, your, your kid on that's going to fix all of those, those issues. And it, it could just compound the hurt. P- people might say, if you've, you've been walking through a tough time, that they're available for you. Hey, anytime I'm around, and yet there's no tangible help that's offered. There's, there's no lifting of burdens. All right, what do you do with that? You're not alone. You're understood. He says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. There, there's real fellowship that, that God has located in that experience. Because you, you know when you walk through a shared experience with somebody, there's, just, there's, there's, there's a closer connection. You know, you, you've, you've done battle together. You both know what that's like. You, through what you are encountering, you understand your Savior better. And you can be confident that he knows you because every feature of the human experience, everything on the spectrum of emotions and suffering, he has, has walked through. And so there's this promise of his, of his nearness, of the, of the one who was known as the man of sorrows, who was acquainted with grief, who, who was mistreated and was reviled and was abused and was abandoned by everybody who was close to him. You can share in his sufferings. And, and, and the question is, you know, I, know, I know we're all from different places and maybe different backgrounds here. Do you know Jesus in that kind of way? Do, do you know a Jesus who can sustain you in the darkest times of life? And is there something in your heart that says, I, I long to know him more, whatever it takes? That's what the Apostle Paul sounds like in Philippians 3. He says, indeed, I, I count everything as loss. And, he, and, and he, he stacks all the things that would have made him a, a noticed person in his day. He, he, he kind of tosses them into the fire. He says, you know, I'm taking my, my seminary degree. I'm taking people be impressed with me and I'm tossing it in the fire. I'm, I'm taking anything that I would have pride in and I'm just writing it off as one big loss. I'm taking comfort and it's, it's going in. I'm taking looking like I'm a competent individual who's able to manage things and all my kids are in a line and wow, she commands them well. I'm tossing that in the fire. It doesn't add anything to me. It is worthless 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ, that I may know him. This is a man who personally saw the risen Jesus, was taken up at, at some point into the third heaven, whatever that means, and, and, and has had decades of relationship with him. And he says, you know, if I could have one thing, I want to know him better. And, and that is going to involve sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. But we're not just left there. We're also told that we can expect glory to be revealed. There's a connection between our suffering now and the experience of glory in the future, right? The text says that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And and that's something that's fundamentally in the future and it's located in eternity. And so that's why patience here and now is is required, that glory does break in in moments. But the Bible says there is a, there's a direct correlation between loss now, frustration now, weakness now, pain now, and glory later. And by the way, the hope of a Christian is not your best life now, it's your best life later. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Which means nothing gets wasted along the way. Nothing, Nothing gets dropped. Nothing in the end becomes pointless. Here and now, you bet it's pointless. I mean, there, there's, there's no promise that we'll be able to see, well, that throw up, you know, ruining my clothes created this experience in this life, and that's why it was really great in the end. Uh, if you're searching for that, that uh, you, you're going to be disappointed. Um, and that's true from the mundane to what seems like just meaningless hurt and pain. We're never told that we're going to get full clarity in this life as to why did we go through the things that we went through. But we are told it will not be wasted. It will not be pointless. It's it's like our suffering now. it's, It's connected to this little fulcrum in the new heaven and the new earth that moves mountains. Your, your future, your eternal landscape gets shaped by these short, difficult days that feel so long and so hard. And glory is, is something that breaks in now as well. Glory shines through you. The fire that is in you it glows in the darkness. David Pallison says this. Finally, you are prepared to pose and demean 
an almost unimaginable question. He's, he's talking about the question we ask, why me? And he says, why not me? Why not this? Why not now? If in some way, this will be a meaningful illustration for you, if in some way your faith might serve as a three-watt nightlight in a very dark world, you know those nightlights are essential. Why not me? If your suffering shows forth the Savior of the world, why not me? If you have the privileges of filling up the sufferings of Christ, if he sanctifies to you your deepest distress, if you fear no evil, if he bears you in, your ar- in his arms, if your weakness demonstrates the power of God to save from all that is wrong, if your honest struggle shows other strugglers how to land on their feet, if your life becomes a source of hope for others, why not me? Of course you don't want to suffer. But you've become willing, like your Savior, who said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And there are women in this room that are doing exactly that. And, and you are not only demonstrating this to a watching world, but to little watching hearts as well. Why are we on this planet? What are we living for? What is our hope when we face disappointment and tragedy? You are that nightlight in a world that is dark and confusing. You know, if you're, if you're prone to bawl your eyes out and enjoy that experience, you could read uh, the book The Road uh, by Cormac McCarthy. And it tells a story of, about this post-apocalyptic world, um, doesn't really go into detail as to what happened, but you, you pick up and there's this father and his, and his son, and they're, they're walking down the road and trying to survive, and, and the world has become a very evil place when people are just trying to survive and live for themselves, and you, you, you kind of pick up on some of those details along the way, but something that the father keeps telling his son, you know, they're trying to get to the coast. They think that there might be help there. He says, son, we're carrying the fire. That's what we're doing. We got We got to keep carrying the fire. There's, there's this inner hope, this resolve, this light in a very dark place. And as you suffer, And as you walk through day after day, what can feel like nothing is being created or done or performed that's going to be useful in this life, you're carrying the fire. And it will be glorious now in many ways, but it will be glorious then. So let me just pray for you and allow you to discuss where, where you can put this on in the real places of life. Lord, we... We do thank you for your word and how it, it just describes so accurately what we walk through. Well, thank you that it, it doesn't give us quick answers. Um, they would just ring hollow if, if they were. Sometimes we don't have the patience to study them out and receive them. But Lord, I, I pray that like our Savior, 
Lord, as we suffer, we would entrust ourselves to the one who is just. And we would have eyes that are open wide to see what you're doing now and in our future. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I think Ashley's going to send out, there's one book I wanted all of y'all to have. Um, so there's a little PDF of this, uh, The Scars That Have Shaped Me by Vanitha Rindle Risner. Um, a remarkable life of unique suffering. And I think her story will help give you perspective and just testimony of what does this look like to put this on. But thank you so much for having me today. Thank you so much, Evan. Here's a little gift card to say thank you. <laughs> that was so good, wasn't it? I feel like I got a free counseling.